So this is my new uh, spinoff podcast. It's similar to Zilla's used records. Uh, it's called Talk Your Talk. And the premise of this is that within the world of hip hop, there are people that are operating at all levels, helping to expand the vision, um, spread the word, and add dimensions and depth to the, the music that we all love. And I wanted to speak to those people because a lot of times those people go unheralded. Um, there are people that are champions of you know, ideas and thoughts, spreading the word about what's going on within the culture, people that are helping to expand the visual aesthetic that matches the, the music, um, people that may just be studying the way that we interact with our music. Um, and I wanted to talk to all of these people and get an idea of the bigger world of music around us. So with this first episode, I'm going to be speaking with my good friend, Roy Christopher. Roy, um, if for long-time listeners, Roy was our very first guest. And Roy and I go way back, uh, probably close to 20 years now. I met Roy when I was on tour, and it's one of those situations that happen from time to time where you make a friend. You make like somebody that becomes a lifelong friend from a chance encounter at a show. Roy is uh, a thinker, uh, a PhD, a doctor um, in the PhD sense of the word. He has taught at you know numerous institutions across the United States. He's written numerous books, uh, specifically two books that he's recently put out about hip hop, uh, Dead Precedents and Boogie Down Predictions. We're going to do a lot of focus on those books within this conversation, but uh, Roy's work very much sort of builds into the ideas of mediums and technology and how they play a major role within the sort of expansion of the culture and the music. So without any further ado, let's jump into our conversation with Roy Christopher. You and I have been having these conversations off record for years, like, you know, talking about rap music and ideas around rap music. And, you know, a lot of a lot of what you write about in your work sort of is built around, at least the way I see it, like around like technology, time and hip hop music, you know, at least the stuff that I see. Um, so, right. you know, I, I thought that there's an interesting conversation to have there. Um, but before we get started, maybe you could give us like a little like sort of brief statement of your history, um, both in the space of like the independent DIY world and the world of academia. Okay. Um, well, I came from doing zines in my teens. So that's where it started. It was just like making from skateboarding and BMX, making zines and first attracted to that because of doing the artwork and doing the layouts and just graphic design. Um, but then realizing if you want someone to review the new Public Enemy record, you need to do it unless you know somebody who's going to do it. So I started yeah. writing music reviews and doing interviews with bands and that led to magazine work and then online work. And then I went back to school and studied communication theory. And so now got a background in like music journalism, music criticism, as well as uh, communication studies. And in communication, I got my, my, my PhD dissertation was on rap lyrics. So I kind of dragged the music stuff into academia. So it wasn't like they were always separate. They've always been kind of combined, but now I use both of those. And so all of my work kind of is media criticism, mm -hmm. music criticism, um, but always from the 
the genres that I grew up with. Um, so hip hop, punk rock, and heavy metal. Okay. And, and what attracted you to those genres in the first place? Um, I mean, just being a rebellious child. I mean, <laughs> they're all rebellion, but also like they're just of the time. I've this is one of the things that I've noticed with when you hear a band now that you're like, oh, that's just Gang of Four again, or oh, that's just, you know, something else rehashed is that there's so much that happens with being there when that thing happened. And I think a lot of that is like, those are the genres that happened while I was growing up. So yeah. just being there when that was going on. But yeah, there's there's definitely like just that youth, angst, energy in all of those genres. Okay. Yeah. I mean, there definitely is something about that time where it was like, there was a lot of rebellious sort of counterculture shit going on, but not like counterculture in the way of like the sixties where it was right. like, you know, like, let's go smoke some reefer and go to a commune. It was more like, fuck this whole system. I'm doing my own thing. Right. We should place this also in time. I was a teenager in the late eighties. So mm-hmm. that's, that's where when we're talking about, it's like the the rebellion of like the Reagan era and that kind of, yeah. that kind of time. So not everyone's going to know what we're talking about. <laughs> we're that's, that's true. I just assume that everybody that listens to us is old. So, <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, because, you know, they're listening to podcasts on public enemy and, right. you know, so I assume that they're, you know, they were the same age as us right. uh, coming up in that same era. So, um, so, you know, speaking of zines, you got your start in zines and you seem to, you kind of come back full circle to that. Like you've recently started a new zine called Discontents. Um, can you tell us a little bit about what that zine is about and like what makes it stand out and like the sort of now somewhat resurgent market of zines? Um, I don't know a lot about what's going on zine wise outside of just wanting to do one again myself. I've done some, I guess my last run of those was like in the late nineties when I bought my last scene was called front wheel drive, mm-hmm. the, the one that I did regularly. And so I bought frontwheeldrive.com, And so it became a website. And then I did, I think I did like two more issues while I still had a website. And then I just, I was just doing one-offs. So like I've done, that was 20 years ago, let's say. So I've done like four in that time. Okay. Um, and they've all been like one-offs in that, they I had plans to do many of them and they just ended up being yeah. the one. So hopefully that doesn't happen with this one. Because the idea, the original idea for this one was to do themed issues that would be chapters in a book. Mm-hmm. Because there are plenty of zine collections that are, you know, just collected into a book at after they've been around for a while as like a historical document. But I wanted to plan one just chapter by chapter. So yeah. so I was just going to do each each um each issue was going to be a theme and then it would be planned to be a book. And then it just, that just became too much for me and my small team of friends, Patrick Barber and Craig Gates, um, who are my design friends that I've done zines and stuff with in the past. Um, It just was too much COVID hit right around the time we started getting this thing going. And uh, we decided, okay, let's just do one. Let's just get the first one done and we'll see what happens. And we did. And it's been, been great response and, Everyone seems to be stoked. We got a lot of the old people that we used to work with on zines back in the day to work on it. And, you know, we've, there's been a lot of talk about the next issue and whatever, mm-hmm. but um, I was like, well, maybe we can make an annual, you know, but yeah. in, even, even in order for us to make it an annual, we'd have to work twice as fast as we did on the first issue. <laughs> so wow. it still, it still took us two years to put that together. So, so go, would it semi-annual be once every two years or would it be biannual or could it be either? 
Is it one of those See, weird? That's biannual, goals? right? Because okay. biweekly is every two weeks. So yeah, but bi- it, it we can, can do also bi- like bimonthly could be every two months, but it it's can every also two be twice a month. Well, see, your semi-monthly would be semi-annual is twice a year. Okay. And biannual is every two years. Yeah, I, I know. In like when I used to work in like magazine publishing, it could have yeah. been either way. Oh yeah, I yeah, mean, so, I just you know there there wasn't precision around that, but right. You know, we're well, zines are never precise anyway. So no, but at some point you gotta have you gotta have rules that you gotta stand. By. <laughs> you have to have a code, and that's what we're gonna do right now. If we, if it's semi month, it's semi annual. We're doing it twice a year, and if oh, it's right. biannual, every two years. So you I mean, you're to out what you're gonna do with it. Your column will take ten years to get you know to get any through, yeah. sort of any sort of narrative going <laughs> at all, <laughs> which is kind of like my career. <laughs> Taking like you know, 20 years to get any sort of like <laughs> any sort of foothold going. So, you know, it, it's, it's on brand. Um, right. Right. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, but speaking of the design, like the design is really cool in the zine. So like, what were you, what was your like hope with the design? Like, what were you hoping that people would take away from that? I was trying to give, I mean, Craig Gates and I did zines in the, I think I met Craig in the early nineties. So like 30 years ago. And then Patrick, I met at the Rocket in Seattle. We both worked at the Rocket, which was a monthly magazine up in Seattle during the grunge era. So that was during the 90s. And I just, I'm a huge fan of both of their, you know, they're both friends of mine, but I'm a huge fan of their work. Um, Patrick did the design on Follow For Now, my first book. Okay. Um, I hired him for that. So um, I really just wanted to give them a space to like, hey, if you guys are, you know, wanted to want to do this really wanted to give them a space to do something and i also reached out to a bunch of other artists taiwan Yu, who did the cover is another one he used to do he did k the k records catalogs back in the day and he did built to spill record covers and he's okay. right now he's doing like these victorian sticker books he's getting all this oh, wow. acclaim for there's wild wild stuff um but he's the one who did he has like a collage collage work so mm-hmm. he did the cover so it was just basically just really just giving I wasn't thinking about the readers. I knew it was going to look cool. I was trying to give yeah. the designers like a place to play. And okay. I also reached out to like film directors and musicians and different people to give them like trying to give them a space like, hey, is there something you wanted to do that you haven't had a chance to do? Mm-hmm. You know, trying to get not only like make contact with people that I'm a fan of, but also like give them a space to do something that, you know, they haven't ever been asked to do. And yeah. that none of that really panned out. I got some interest, but no, no, nobody ever, <laughs> none of them yeah. really did anything. I believe you did get Fatboy Sharif, who's, you know, sort yeah. of a, a staple for our audience. Yeah. Yeah. He's, cool. he's yeah. great. And uh, I, I had that, that column idea, one question where you just ask a person one question. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't know that the framing of that question, the question I asked him was if hip hop didn't exist, would, would we have to invent it? And I love that if blank didn't exist, would we have to invent it? That kind of yeah. that construct. And uh, he just went crazy with it. And so in his typical style, he just yeah. runs off. And it's just beautiful. It's just, yeah, just to hand him that and get that back. Just he's amazing. Genius, yeah. yeah, he's great. Yeah, he is. Um, so I actually, I, I was listening to a podcast and there was like a hypothetical question, but it was kind of the reverse. So it wasn't like if this thing didn't exist, would we need to invent it? It's would you be willing to destroy this thing that currently exists? And what are the ramifications of that? Right. So they're talking about, would you, would you be willing to destroy the internet? Like basically hit a button and the internet never existed. And you know, what are the ramifications around that? 
Right. So never existed or just wouldn't exist now? Wouldn't exist now. I mean, they they kind of played with it. They like sort right. of figured out a date, like maybe like, I think they were like 1999. Like we'll take it back to 1999 and it can never exist beyond that level. Like you could still like, you know, sort of download music. It'll take you a couple of days, <laughs> uh, you know, things like that. But there's not really any social media. There's right. Oh, no, like, you know, the e the e, uh, e-business platforms are kind of gone. So like was that was their 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 question right i mean i'm not necessarily asking you that i just <laughs> thought of it but it's, no it's a great answer. you're one of the people i would like to know the answer that your answer to that i'd love to get rid of the whole thing like i don't want to go back to 99 i want to go back to 64 <laughs> yeah i mean not I'm fine with it. i don't want to go back to 64 the year i yeah. mean the internet in the 64, internet 64 <laughs> yeah where it's just like nasa scientists where it's like just darpa just yeah you know yeah I th- which I think actually is in 65, which is why I said 64, because it didn't okay. exist at all in 64, yeah. as far as I know. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So my, a friend of mine asked me if there was any animal you could get rid of, what would it be? Like, oh. just it's a similar question. Yeah. Which one did you pick? Dogs. Why dogs? Because I'm most affected. It's the animal that most affects me other than humans is dogs. How dogs barking, dogs pooping, dogs okay. just, you know, dogs. He said that? birds. So I, I would agree with <laughs> birds. Yeah. Birds are pretty awful. Yeah. That was my friend Mike Anderson. Shout out to Mike Anderson. Okay. I, I think I would get rid of zebras. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the world would not be any different to you. If the it would. Was nobody gone. would nobody would dare wear zebra patterns. Like so many like <laughs> bandex metal bands of the 80s would be gone. They wouldn't have anything to wear. Somebody would invent zebra print though. Possibly. I mean, fat, fat boy Sharif would. Fat boy Sharif would. He would have he would have like a very sort of like billowy shirt that he could it would wear. Be, yeah. It would be and called not that fat he ever boy wears print. a shirt, but it would be called <laughs> fat boy print, not zebra print. Because be, he would, it would be, be the inventor. Yeah, Sharif. Sharif. <laughs> so um, so you've put out a bunch of books in the last couple of years. Yes. Um, and I kind of I've read a bunch of them. So thank you. There's two You're things. the one. <laughs> That's me. I mean, yeah, I get them. I get most of them for free. So, <laughs> um, but I but I have bought a bunch of them too. Yeah, so I do true. support. Yeah. Um, but w- one of the theme- themes I really like noticed in your writing, at least in, in this iteration, is you have like a, a bit of a fixation on time, mm-hmm. and then the other one is like sort of the the co-opting of technology for purposes that were originally intended. Like those are the two big, like focuses that I I see you sort of tackling. Yes. Is there something I'm missing or am I, am I pretty accurate with that? No, I time, I mean, the, the time one kind of emerged out of other people's writings, the, the repurposing of technology or they're like, that's definitely a theme in the book. I just finished the medium picture. Like, Mm -hmm. That's a huge part of it. And I guess time is too, because I talk a lot about generational differences because I'm coming from like, you know, we're old enough to remember when there, this is why we can talk about there not being an internet because we remember when there wasn't one, right? Yeah. And we're the last generation to be able to do that. And yeah. so I talk a lot about that in in the medium picture. And that's that ties it to time, which is not something that I would have consciously okay. thought about. So in Boogie Down Predictions, the reason that time became a part of it was I realized Boogie Down Predictions came out of Dead Precedents because Dead Precedents, um, I wrote about cyberpunk and mm-hmm. 
and hip hop and Afrofuturism. And then I was like, uh, Jeff Chang had written Can't Stop, Won't Stop, a great history of hip hop. But he'd, he had just put out an edited collection right after that called Total Chaos, which is more about graffiti. Okay. And it was, a, he had gotten a lot of other people to contribute and to do this. I was like, that's super cool because it's like a companion piece that's completely different from the book that he wrote, but they go, they still go together. They go together. Yeah. And I was like, I want to do that. So, so I started asking around, you know, asking friends if they had anything that they hadn't published or that they thought could, you know, fit into a, a collection. And the first afternoon I had three really great pieces and I was like, okay, this thing has some momentum. And the theme that emerged out of those was time and how, hip hop manipulates time. And it's not something that I talked a lot about in Dead Precedence. So it had that extra, like, you know, here's something new that's not talked about so much. And yeah. definitely science fiction and cyberpunk, you know, time is a is a factor. I just didn't end up covering it very much yeah. in Dead Precedence. So so the time thing is not something I would have claimed for my own. It's just something that kind of came together and it's kind of orthogonal to the other concerns that I have. Yeah. I would say that the repurposing of technology is definitely like something that's that a I huge one. I, a I guess yeah. I guess I made that connection um because I was reading, I don't remember which one it was exactly. It was it was it had to do with Afrofuturism and it was within the within the um part within that section, um, there was a comment about how right now like through like afrofuturism within the movement itself but like just in general like we're in the process i think sun rob might have said it like we're in the process of building the future now right like some and i kind of got a feeling for that in dead precedence as well like not necessarily like the overriding theme but the idea of the present is always like we're building the future for in the present or the, like the future is building the present. That's what it was. Right. That That's what the saying was. Um, And I kind of got that feeling as well. Like when I read, when I read dead precedents, because in a way it was like the present, the, the future, the thought of what this future could be is being built like in the present. Is right. Saying that right. Or am I just like, getting <laughs> lost in time? But, I mean, one of the, my, the, the underlying idea of, that precedence was that hip hop was the blueprint for the future. But exactly, when, yeah. but the future that I was talking about was the present, right? Cause yeah. the future from, <laughs> from 80, from 78, yeah. I guess. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. From there. So yeah, it gets really confusing when you try to start. <laughs> it, it makes sense in my mind, but verbalizing it, like it's just not, it's not coming out. Right. But yeah. Well, I guess. Sorry, um, I think it originally comes from McLuhan. Like a lot of things that I talk about come from Marshall McLuhan, um, predicting the present, mm -hmm. which kind of gets at yeah, it's kind of a construction that gets at what you're what you're talking about. But that's that's what William Gibson always says his work is about. Is like he's not talking about the future; he's talking about, he's talking about what's present. going what's going on right now. Yeah. So, so yeah, I mean, I guess like because after I read that chapter, I was just like walking around thinking about the the current present right now, right? Like. <laughs> <laughs> was conceived through the version of what we thought the future was in the past right, right. like you know so many of the things that we thought in sci-fi are here in some way or another right so like i guess like that's where i'm like kind of trying to like figure out the that world of like are we just living in a version of the present from 84 Right. Or like, you know, or are we like actually in a future right now? Well, it's we it's funny because it feels like it feels like a lot of things 
like cell phones, for instance. Yeah. It wasn't difficult to see that coming. No. Right. But yeah. it's difficult to see the next thing. Sure. Yeah. Not not just because we're here looking back, but because I mean, phones phones and computers are getting smaller and smaller. Oh, one phones day we'll just yet. have one in my pocket. Yeah. Right now it's like okay, well, where is it going next? <laughs> like yeah. it's not a right. So well, so I there's a lot of probably nanotechnology. Probably like I mean, there's a lot of speculation about I mean wearables and yeah. implants and you know if you if you pay any attention to any science fiction at all, then that's yeah. <laughs> everything's in your eye or in your ear and all of that, but that just doesn't seem as viable as, or as obvious as it did looking back 30 years. Right. Yeah, no. Yeah, certainly. Yeah. I, I mean, I think like there, there's a lot of things that I don't think we would have like necessarily seen back then, or maybe would have, and I just wasn't aware of it, but like a lot of like the medical breakthroughs, right. Um, the use of imaging and data for imaging yeah. and creating like the, the sort of algorithms around that, um, at least, I don't know. I didn't know anything about that back then, but. But when you see something like somebody has a computer or somebody has a cell phone, it's not hard to see everybody having something like that. Yeah, no, no, certainly not. Yeah. 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 And Once I, it I guess... has... Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> the politest podcast ever. <laughs> not editing any of this. It's all statement. <laughs> one of us is going to give in first. I was just going to say that um, once it has more than one use, because I remember when computers first started popping up at home and they were like, there was nothing to do on them. Nothing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think I, my friend, my, my friend, Chris Flink was the per- first person I ever knew that had one. And it was like, the only thing we would do with it was play like this Dr. J versus Larry Bird basketball game. Yeah. Which was awful. And then like, there was like this poker game you could play that eventually, like if you won, it would make like a, a naked woman <laughs> out of like the green different fonts. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we'd play it so intently, hoping to win. I was programming them back then, so I was like on a different kind of side of it. But it was so much work to get anything to happen that oh, I can't even imagine. It was just so laborious. <laughs> you must have been doing so much cocaine when you were that. <laughs> <laughs> just, just mainlining Dr. Pepper. Just all of it. Yeah. <laughs> Not even Mr. Pib, just Dr. Pepper. Yeah. And when Jolt Cola came out, though, he would like, <laughs> went off the wagon, bro. <laughs> so, um, so let's talk about technology because there's, I think that's like a really important thing that you write about, like the the use of technology and like sort of the 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 subversive use of technology. I don't know if that's the right word for it, but um, but before that, like a lot of it sort of goes back to this idea that you put in my brain. And I don't know if it's an idea that you came up with or um, it's something that you heard before, but um, the idea of desire lines, mm-hmm. is that something you created? No, 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 okay. that's not my idea, but I've definitely like, there's a whole chapter on them in the medium picture. Okay. Um, so it's a huge part of that. Okay. So go ahead. No, go ahead. I was just going to say just the idea of, of you're talking about technology and repurposing it. Desire lines to me are like a really good example of design versus behavior. Yeah. And that's the, those are kind of the two things that determine how technology is wielded. Cool. So for, for our audience who might not know what a desire line is, right. can you explain that concept? It's basically any college campuses are probably the best place to see this, but anywhere there are sidewalks and grass, there will be trails 
running diagonally that show where people would rather walk, mm-hmm. right? So those are called desire lines because they show that the desire to go in a different way because designers have put in the sidewalks, right? Trying to yeah. predict where people will walk or where they want them to walk, but then people walk where they're going to walk, right? Well, so design versus behavior. So design is kind of like a top-down version of how things are supposed to be, but then behavior is, the behavior determines how they're used, right? Yeah. So one is predicting the future, right? Design. Yeah. And then behavior is how things, is the, the history works. of how they're used. So yeah. it's just this huge concept to me, as far as like all kinds of different technological uses, like things like things as simple as like retweeting a tweet, right? Mm-hmm. That wasn't a thing. That's, that was not designed in. That yeah. was a behavior, right? Yeah. That didn't get, got designed in later. Right. So yeah. just down to something that simple um, it's, and it, you can see it all over the place. And it's, this is just a huge chunk of that. The book, the medium picture is just about different ways that that has happened, but there's a whole chapter specifically talking about desire lines and sidewalks and paths and all that stuff. That's exactly how you explained it to me back. <laughs> and it's, it's stuck in my head. Like I always try to pull it out when I want to sound smart. Um, but- <laughs> So, so let's talk about a little bit about dead precedence then. Okay. I think that's like a big theme within this book, right? The, I mean, I know like it's not the only theme, but like when we, when we talk about like the, the beginning of hip hop, right. It's strictly desire lines. Right. Right. So like, how did, how do you think, I guess those innovations, like, why did those come about? Do you think like the, the way those innovations grew and like, and how can, I guess, tech, how can technology get better at a sort of foreseeing that type of a thing? Yeah, that's tough. Um, I mean, there's so many different myths about how hip hop started. And, you know, the, I mean, the, the one that's widely adopted is that there was just no other resources. And so yeah. that's how it emerged. Um, but we know that the people who brought out the original sound systems had spent a lot of money on those sound systems. So there's like, there was, you know, there was some, some means in there somewhere, but um, just the idea of taking nothing and make it into something else or like mm-hmm. using turntables for something they were never intended for, th- that whole theme of hacking that runs throughout that precedence. Yeah. Um, I want to try, I'm going to try to frame this in another way. The I was talking about top down and bottom up because hip hop is definitely a bottom up kind of culture and kind of all those technological things were bottom up and got built in later. There's yeah. a concept called structuration. That's, okay. I think I could bring in here. Um, there's a problem in sociology, and this is also a problem in like other larger hard sciences where the the theories at the very top that kind of explain how societies work or how the universe works versus how quantums work or how individuals work, mm-hmm. right? We've kind of figured out both ends, but in the middle, they don't they contradict each other. They don't come together very well. Yeah. Well, this guy, Anthony Giddens came up with the idea of structuration. This is in sociology, not in the hard sciences. Yeah. And he was saying that like um, rules are put in place, you know, from the top down. And then if a rule is like not working and people break it enough, then the rule gets changed or ignored. Mm -hmm. Right. So from the bottom up, they get changed that way. So in the middle, you've got what's called structuration. And so that's how society is like formed is in the middle. And so that to me is like where, you know, kind of where hip hop, hip hop or something, a movement like that eventually gets to the point where you have both things going on. Mm-hmm. And so it gets constituted in the middle. 
yeah. somewhere. Okay. And so, so the thing, like I mentioned, and I hate the fact that I had to mention Twitter, but it was just the first thing that I thought of. The first example I thought of the fact any of us think of <laughs> second we wake up. <laughs> the fact that retweeting wasn't a thing and came from the bottom up, but yeah. then got built in from the top down later. Right. Mm-hmm. That's that's structure. That's an example of structuration. Right. Retweeting yeah. has gotten constituted by those two processes. Okay. Um, so I think just paying attention to how people use things. And then enabling that, okay. Um, you know, that's the way it can. That's the way technology can can work better. Okay. There's so much of technology that is that trains us to do things, right? If you ch- if you switch operating systems or upgrade your phone or whatever, there will be things that you used to like to do that now you can't do. You can't do and then eventually you'll forget that you even did them because you will just conform to whatever the phone or the computer does now. Yeah. Um, in the in the book, I talk about how the bicycle is like my favorite kind of level of technology okay i know you hate bicycles but bicycles (laughs) is a completely open system and it conforms to the human body there's nothing you do when you ride a bicycle that conforms to the bicycle it you can adjust it and change the size of it the arrangement of all of it in any any way you see fit that you want to to use it right it's there's not a lot of other technologies that are that way right you get into a car you have to conform in some form to some what form. the car needs, right? So um, that's a, I don't know, that's that's the example I use of like a really great kind of. Although that's very spoken like by by a non-driver. <laughs> there, there are many things you can do in a car to make it fit your needs. But, yes, there are. Yeah. But there, like, but. Run over bicyclists for some <laughs> right. yeah, you know. Well, see, um, I misspoke because I know you don't hate bicycles. You hate cyclists. Yes. Yeah, it's a big difference. It's a huge difference, yeah. <laughs> and mostly New York City cyclists. Yes, I understand. Yeah. Anybody on a city bike, really, more than anything. Right. Yeah. They're an awful breed. Um, <laughs> but, yeah. So, I mean, I guess it's kind of like when you think of the idea in society that most of us are committing numerous crimes every single day. Yes. That's kind of the idea of structuralism, right? Like, is that structure? Is it structuralism or structuralization? Structuration. Structuration. Wow, I was wrong on both counts. Um, But (laughs) it's basically that idea, right? Like, so there's all these laws that they come down with, like jaywalking. You can't jaywalk. Um, Or, you know, like, I don't know, littering. I, I only scumbags litter, but, you know, people litter all the time. And it's like one of those things that's never punished. Right. Right. So it's this law that's still on the books, but it, it's kind of a non-law because of the way that humans yeah. interact with it. Yeah, that's definitely I would say those are examples of structuration. If you go far enough into that to where you you see another set of rules, mm-hmm. right, where it's like people won't litter, but they'll throw a cigarette butt on the ground. Okay. Right. That's a difference. Yeah. And that's a distinction that people will make. They wouldn't throw a McDonald's bag on the ground, they but they wouldn't. would throw a cigarette butt on the ground. Yeah. Or they right? like pour a that's soda a, out on the ground. Yeah. Right. Okay. But that's a, that's in sociology. That's what they would call a state of anomie, A-N-O-M-I-E, which is, it's a lawlessness, but it's, it has its own laws. So like in a state of lawlessness, people make up their own rules. Mm-hmm. Right. So if you get into like, into any criminal enterprise, right? There are rules that are to be broken, but there are also rules within that system that are not to be broken. That are not right? to be broken. And then yeah. within those rules, there are rules that you could probably break within those rules. <laughs> right. 
So yeah. it, it, is the natural human state anarchy or is it, are we constantly looking to move towards a system or away from a system? What do you think? We seem to be very system oriented. Okay. Organisms. Your face is letting me know that that's a bad question. <laughs> no, not a bad question. I just don't know the answer to it. Okay. I mean, I, because I, I think that order order rules, right? I mean, we mm -hmm. we think of everything as being like completely. But if you if if order didn't rule, then there would be like car crashes everywhere all the time, constantly. Like you wouldn't be able to drive down the road because there'd just be road. <laughs> there'd just be like layers and layers of like pieces of cars. There'd be desire no. lines through our living rooms. Exactly. No, there's there's definitely more order than chaos when it comes to human systems. Fair. Okay. Or you wouldn't yeah. be able to get to work every day. It just yeah. wouldn't happen. <laughs> but there's a restructuring of the order all the time. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So maybe it's like the idea of like, once you don't have religion, you'll make religion. Right. Okay. Yeah. If it doesn't exist, you have to invent it. Ah, uh, we're back. Much like Fat Boy Sharif. <laughs> right. If he didn't exist, we would have to invent it. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so when when you put out um dead precedents and um boogie down predictions, what are you hoping that the reader takes away from it? Um I don't know. I'm hoping I brought something to in Dead Precedents, I'm hoping I brought up some kind of new view to, you know, hip hop and where it came from and what, what its importance is and the impact it's had on me and so many other people that I know, um, because I really was trying to make the argument that it was the blueprint for the future. Yeah. And I used the cyberpunk and Afrofuturism stuff to make to help make that argument. But it's about hip hop and Boogie Down Predictions. You know, it's I mean, I barely wrote any of it. It's sure. I wrote the preface. And I just got all my friends to write other parts. So I hope that there's a lot as a companion piece for that. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Because I wanted to get other people to like, you know, say things I can't say and bring in their own expertise. And um, yeah, I hope that both of them just like give people a new view on this culture, because there's so much of what's talked about outside of hip hop. That is like the least inter interesting things about hip hop culture. Yeah. And I know that's not a new argument either. And I'm not, I'm not the one doing that but I li I'd like to think that I'm trying to highlight you know lots of just great things about it so yeah. I mean I think you do a wonderful job but um well, th thank you Tim you know I I think when when I read a lot of hip-hop books and I think your perspective and the perspective that you bring through the the works and that you brought together for um boogie down predictions really like really made me look at this art form in a different way than all the other books do. See, a lot of the other books are like history lessons to me. Yeah. And this is like a theory book in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, there's like, there's an argument being made, whether or not people believe that argument, they're having a conversation rather than being talked to right. about what had happened in the past. And I think yeah. that's a real, like a nice approach to it in the way that you sort of consume what you're writing. Well, that's like, one of the, you know, the reader consumes what you're writing. Yeah. Right. Well, that's, oh, I, I appreciate that. That's a great way to sum these up. And um, it's also kind of freeing that those history books already exist because I didn't have to do a lot of, I mean, there's a lot of historical yeah. uh, stuff that these are based on that's in the books themselves. But, but like you said, they're not history lessons. They're, yeah. they're all spinning off of that sort of thing. So yeah, it really frees you up to do a lot more 
of the fun work when you don't have to <laughs> do the history yeah. part. Like Dead Presidents, I had to do a lot of historical work just to tie the cyberpunk and hip hop kind of the move, the growth of those two movements, because I was trying to show that how parallel they were. Um, so you had to do enough history in there to to show that. But yeah. other than that, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, there's definitely like a kindred spiritualism with the philosophies behind Rommel Z. Yeah. In those books. Um, yes. and I know he's like a real important sort of thinker for you. Yes. Um, yes. And I tried to, to cram him into both of those books as much you as you possible. You did a wonderful job. <laughs> um, what What is it about Rommel Z that like really speaks to you? Well, when I was... Um, when I was putting together Dead Presidents and bringing together the ideas of of cyberpunk and hip hop, like it points to certain people, but nobody more than him. Like yeah. he's the guy. Like I wanted him to be on the cover of that book. Like that was the the idea was just to put a picture of him on the cover. And I've I've like pitched doing a biography of him. It's just because he just embodies that whole idea yeah. um, of you know the of hip-hop embodying what the future is like he's the guy he's the guy who's right in the crux of it he's also like in the middle of just the evolution of like new york and punk rock and new wave and that whole downtown art scene with mm -hmm. you know basquiat and warhol and he was like right in the middle of all that he's in jim jarmusch early jim jarmusch film like just if you just follow him you'll get a history lesson yeah <laughs> right there yeah um so yeah, I really hope somebody does write a just extensive biography of him. I would buy it. Yeah. Heartbeat. Like, yeah. So you you have your next assignment, Roy. Yeah, I just <laughs> I, it's it seems like Greg Tate should have done it, rest in peace. Or yeah. Dave Tompkins should do it. You know, <laughs> seems like somebody like that who actually met the man should his piece on the Jungle it. Brothers was amazing, by the yeah. way. Yeah. It was so good. It's so oh, that piece has such a history because he wrote this. He wrote this story for The Wire a long time ago called The okay. Clock Shop, about The Clock Shop. Yeah. And I was just, when I got in touch with Dave, I just wanted to reprint that. I was like, hey, can yeah. we reprint The Clock Shop? And so when he went back to that, he ended up writing this whole new piece. That's so cool. So for, <laughs> for our listeners, like, what what is The Clock Shop? What is, like, the significance of The Clock Shop? It, oh, man. It's like, I don't even remember the the exact origins of it it's like somebody who produced a record or somebody who made a record who now owns one a of clock the members, shop it was one of the members of the jungle brothers jungle brothers yeah um, um it was, and it's a clock shop is in north carolina right yeah and it was his grandfather's clock shop that's right yeah, yeah so his grandfather left it to him and it's sort of like they basically just fix like grandfather clocks and you know it's like real like an old school fucking clock shop right it's, you know it's not a watch store it's a, a clock shop yeah, so when the when the when the theme of time kind of emerged out of these first few pieces I got for Boogie Down Predictions, yeah, I immediately thought of that old Tompkins piece from The Wire. I was like, oh, this would be cool because it's like it's not about time, but it's about yeah. time pieces, and it's mm -hmm. kind of got the hip hop connection to it as well. And I just thought it would be an odd piece, and it would be great to have Dave in it because Dave Tompkins is so great. Yeah, and then yeah, he ended up writing this, doing more research and writing this whole new piece about it. It's so, so fucking good. Yeah. I mean, I, I think the book is worth it for that alone. Like that. Is, <laughs> That's is awesome. Yeah. You'll be stoked to hear that. Yeah, it was really great. Um, so I do want to ask you about, um, escape philosophy. I haven't read it yet. I haven't, mm -hmm. it's on my list of books to read. Um, but 
tell us a little bit about it. Like, like what's the, what's the sort of two minute pitch on it? Well, the basic um, argument behind escape philosophy is how we use different things to escape the limits of the human body. Mm-hmm. And so each chapter is kind of one of these escape routes. So um, machines, drugs, death, uh, rapture, extinction. Okay. <laughs> um, it, it started with a the Godflesh record, Street Cleaner. I okay. wanted to write. Yeah, I wanted to write that forever. Yeah, I wanted to write yeah. a thirty-three and a third. You know, one of those books that each one is about a record. I wanted to write yeah. one about Street Cleaner. And as I was digging into Street Cleaner, I never got that. That book never happened, obviously. Um, but I kept finding more and more of these themes, kind of like in Dead Precedents, where one thing will just lead to another thing and lead to mm-hmm. another thing, and just like it just balloons into all of this stuff, and. I use street cleaner as a jumping off point to talk about all of these ways that we try to escape the human body. Okay. Um, so it's heavy on heavy metal and God flesh and horror movies, but it's the themes are all about how we try to get past the limits of our bodies. Excellent. Can't wait to read it. And then I want to talk to you about one more book because I did read this one. and I really loved it. Uh, Fender the fall. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. And it's like it's the first real like piece of like fiction that you put out, right? Yeah. Yeah. So what made you decide to like get away from sort of more, I guess, for lack of a better term, academic books to and get into uh, some some fiction? Well, I and there's a very time heavy focus in that book too. Yeah, the time travel aspect yeah. of it. Um, I was trying to, I went through a bad breakup (laughs) several years ago. You were around for part of that. (laughs) I was, yeah. Yeah, you were. Um, I think Macklemore was around for part of that. Yes, he was. He was. (laughs) He was there. That was a rough night. That was a rough night. It was. Um, (laughs) um, (laughs) Can I I tell the listeners what we're talking about? Go ahead. Like that part. So Hangar 18, we, I met Roy at a Hangar 18 show we were playing with rj and i met you in san diego right yeah yeah so and we kind of just became friends like i don't quite know how it happened but we became friends like, yeah we were just talking yeah. at that show that night and then yeah then you end up like you guys end up staying with me a few different times at different places and, yeah and yeah and but we were playing seattle and it was like some bar and macklemore was opening for us <laughs> And the only person in the crowd was Roy C <laughs> who just went through a devastating breakup and was like nine beers deep. Yeah. It was rough. Yeah. So it was, it was a, it was an interesting show. So I went, I came back here actually after that, yeah. not after the right after, not right after that show, but after that breakup, <laughs> like, I gotta get out of this town, hopped in your car, hopped I on your back, bike and rode all the way home. Yeah. I came back here and I was working at a record store and I was just like trying to put my whole life back together. <laughs> and uh, I watched Donnie Darko and I'd seen okay. the movie before, but like I re- it really like struck me during this down, yeah. this very downtime in my adult life. And so I was like, well, how does this happen? Like, how do you, what do you put on the page for that to be on the screen? Mm-hmm. So I decided like, I'm going to learn how to write a screenplay. It was, that was what started this. And the story that I came up with was eventually Fender the Fall. I, okay. That started as a script. And okay. so over years and years of trying to figure out how a screenplay works and all of that. And then, you know, I got, I mean, I've got a 
pretty operational script of it. But then I just decided like, no one's going to read that. Yeah. Let me write it out as a full on as a story. And so that's where the the book itself came from. And okay. the, the book is now out of print, but I have a collection of fiction coming out in the fall and it will oh, be awesome. in there. Okay. Um, so it's, it'll be available again soon, but cool. Um, it, it's really good. I'm, I'm very happy. I bought a copy. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. Um, if, if anybody wants to, to borrow it, let me know. I'll, I'll mail it to you. I do have a few copies still here, uh, but actually then reach out to Roy and give Roy money for it. But in the yeah. fall, there's a collection coming out called different waves, different depths, and it will okay. be in there. Cool. I can't wait. I'm excited to order it. Awesome. And, uh, read it. So we're going to wrap up here because I got to get ready to jump on the actual regular podcast. So, <laughs> so Roy, thank you again for taking the time to speak. Uh, is there anything that you want um, our listeners to know? Like, how can they find you? What's the best way to reach you? And obviously, I'm going to put all the links in the, the show notes, but you know, yeah, they should look out for or, you know, things. Well, like that. thank you for having me. I appreciate this and your attention to my work um, over the years. Um, two things coming out that the the collection I mentioned earlier, Different Waves, Different Depths, is coming out on Impeller Press um, this fall. Um, and then the Medium Picture, which is the media theory book that we've talked about that I said was the Desire Lines chapter is in and all mm-hmm. that. We talked, you know, I was, I was watching an interview with me um, the other day from 2011 and I was talking about that book. I've been working wow. on this book for a You've long been working time. You've working on that book for a long time. It, yeah, it was I've supposed to be- i seen that artwork for a long time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's been been a while, but that will be that will be coming out also later this year. And RoyCustor.com is obviously where everything is happening and all my links are on there, so. Cool, awesome. So- Thanks, thank you, yeah. man. Thank you again and- uh, we need to get you back on the regular feed as well. Uh, maybe we'll do a Rommel Z episode. Yeah, be sick. Yeah, I think maybe we'll have to do that. So, cool. Thank you, Roy. Thanks, man. Well, thank you for listening to the first episode of Talk Your Talk. Um, I hope you enjoyed it. I have a few of these scheduled. I don't know the actual schedule yet. It'll probably be like every two weeks or every month. But um, yeah, we have some cool conversations coming up that I think uh, everybody will enjoy. Uh, be sure to give the episode a rating or the podcast a rating as well as comments if you want to and we will definitely read any comments on the air so thanks again and uh have a good night